Welcome to the Artist Academy podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Earhart, and May is Mural Month. Welcome to the best time of the year. All month long, you'll hear from master muralists to learn the tips to creating a thriving business painting large scale. I have handpicked each interviewee based on their expansive knowledge of the mural industry so that you can learn from the absolute best. Plus, I'm throwing in some solo episodes all about how to make money with murals. And if that isn't enough, I have created a full training for you all about how to grow your art business quickly using murals like I have. If you're listening this month and thinking, okay, let me see what this mural thing is all about. Or if you're wondering if you are able to create murals too, then go to artistacademy.co. That's artistacademy.co, not com. That was taken. Dot com was taken. <laughs> anyway, to learn how you can start making money in the mural biz. The majority of my income comes from murals and I want to help you get started too because I know how profitable they can be. So go to artistacademy.co <laughs> to claim your free training for the month of May. Woo! Welcome to Mural Month! This week's episode features a lifelong muralist and one of my friends, Pietro Palladini. I have had the privilege of working with Pietro in the early parts of my career, and along with his enthusiasm and friendly character, Pietro really set the example for me for what a great muralist should be. <laughs> now in his 70s, Pietro has spent his life practicing his craft out of joy and painting all over the world. He has had many interesting gigs from painting on big movie sets, to rappelling off of buildings to paint giant billboards. He's done a lot. He's painted the casinos in Vegas, and the list goes on and on. So for this interview, I just wanted to sit down and chat with an old friend and hear of all about his stories and have him explain just what he's done throughout his working artist career, because he's had so many years of experience in this job, and I think you're going to really, really enjoy this one. So let me know what you think about this week's episode with Pietro Palladini. Well, hello, Pietro. Thank you so much for coming on and just chatting with us about your art career. I have talked you up so much and they are so excited to see you and talk to you. So can you start by maybe telling us a bit about how you got into the arts? I was in the theater arts, even in high school and stuff like that. So I was always, you know, involved in painting and stuff. I believe I sold my first painting when I was in the fifth grade. I thought I was an artist, but <laughs> so nothing worse than encouragement. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, after uh, a stint in the uh, Air Force, I was, uh, happened to be in California and I started taking uh, a few like scenic campaigning classes at different uh, colleges in, in Los Angeles area, Pasadena City College, uh, Los Angeles Trade Tech College. And uh, these were all geared for a vocational. And so actually I was very fortunate because Pasadena City College was one of the few uh, schools that actually taught, taught sign painting. So I actually learned sign painting at Pasadena City College. It's still being uh, taught there to this day, but not at Pasadena, Los Angeles. And then I took billboard painting at Los Angeles Trade Tech College, and I studied that for a few years under very master, masterful painters, and I took a lot of private classes, so I was really serious. I happened to be taking a class, a silkscreen class at Pasadena, 
And one of my teachers suggested that I look into a career in the entertainment industry. And I didn't even know there was a career in that. I did it in high school working on theater stuff, but I didn't know there was a job. And so I shot my portfolio around a few of the studios in Los Angeles area. And I landed, eventually landed a job at NBC Studios and as a scenic artist, as an artist. And in those days, there was a lot of hand painting. As a matter of fact, even the, the lettering on the titles was hand painted. So I became joined the union of the scenic and title artists of Los Angeles. And so I was at NBC Studios working there, got a chance to you know meet Johnny Carson and all the people that Midnight Special, all those old TV shows. And then I got they at MGM Studios, they were looking to hire a new artist at there. And my supervisor at the time suggested me to go to MGM Studios and work at JC Backings. And so it was a private firm, but it was, they had a space at MGM Studios. And I started there as an assistant, a backdrop artist. And I painted there for a number of years and I went back and forth with, and I've worked at most of all the motion picture studios in the Los Angeles area, Paramount, Warner Brothers, I ended up being mostly at Warner Brothers. So that was my start of my career. And I've been a professional artist since I was 25. Yeah. There we go. That is quite the start. So (laughs) I think your story is so interesting because you get to paint on all these cool movie sets and meet all these cool people. And I remember the first time you told me that it's because we worked together at Bass Pro. I was just like in awe of that. I was like, okay, that's a goal. I've got to try that. So you just applied you've been in the movie scene mostly right uh-huh yes and then i worked at all the major motion picture studios and tv lots in the los angeles area and i became pretty well known there so i was, I was pretty well known in la but not in springfield missouri <laughs> <laughs> i think that's much much cooler to be known in la rather than little springfield but yeah uh, didn't you paint since something like the the, the terminator movie scene or something some kind of Terminator poster. I remember you telling me a story about that. Actually, I painted a lot of billboards at, I worked for a while at a company called Foster and Kleiser. This was, I was started in the, the Los Angeles Motion Picture Union, but it was a little slow at the time. So I took on a job at uh, Foster and Kleiser for a little bit, but I went back to the entertainment industry and at Warner Brothers in those days, we used to paint the billboards of the, of the, of the movies that were being shown. And in those days, they had the show cards when you go into a movie theater and you see all the advertisements. We would replicate that on a billboard. And they were huge billboards. We would hang off the side of a building like 40 feet in the air and paint our way down. And it would take about a week, two of us working together on a lift and going down and painting these images. And so I got a chance to paint many of those kind of posters. And I think the one that you're talking about is the, the Sylvester Stallone movie. And it was a Sylvester Stallone movie. I have a picture of me standing near that billboard. And, but we painted every movie that was, went through Warner Brothers. So we got a chance, I got a chance to paint Clint Eastwood posters, the Karate Kid, Ghostbuster, just a lot of any movie that Warner Brothers was putting out. We, and it was a long street. It was on Olive Street in Burbank. And we probably had at least eight or nine billboards and there was always another billboard being painted because there were always another movie coming up so I got a chance to do that for a number of years 
That's awesome. How old were you whenever you were doing that? I was in my 30s. Yeah, I was in my 30s. That's so fun. And just thinking of nowadays, we have like posters and paper that we print out. But back in the day, like they or back in the day, they, they didn't yeah. have that. Like they, there was no vinyl. <laughs> like now right. everything's right. vinyl and the movie sets are vinyl, but you would paint the movie sets. You would paint the poster, anything to advertise that movie and or help make the movie. You would paint that. Right. It was all hand done. And it still is a little bit, but the industry has changed and it has evolved. What are you working on right now? I'm working on the TV show Better Call Saul, and it's season six. It's the last season, and so we just finished episode one, and we're on episode two now. I don't know. You said you didn't know about Better Call Saul. Okay. It's a really popular TV show, and it is on, I think, A&E. I don't get cable, so I have to wait for it to come on Netflix, so I have to wait for the seasons to 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 come but it's really fun you would like it it's a good show okay i i might have to just watch it tonight but there's a couple there's a couple people commenting here i love that so people know exactly what you're talking about i don't but the members do (laughs) better call Saul is really popular and it's intelligent i'm excited to work on it. i've never worked on any of the seasons before I've always been on other productions, was asked to do it a few times, but I've been pretty busy. And we're on the last season. It's going to be pretty exciting, guys. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, somebody just commented. It was like, last season, what? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's se- several people saying, yes, awesome show, awesome show. Great. Tell me more stories about your mural career. Besides doing the motion picture stuff, movie stuff, the motion picture industry changed in Los Angeles, and I kind of felt it. And so I started, I hooked up with some teams, artists, design teams, like the Bass Pro experience that we had. And I worked in a number of casinos all around the country, Las Vegas, up and down the Mississippi, Chicago, Pennsylvania. And I worked on the Luxor, Caesars Palace, the Showboat, which doesn't exist anymore. Some of the casinos I worked on, it's been a long time that they don't even exist. The Hacienda, whoever heard of that one. And I worked on the Sands. I think I said the Showboat. Let me see. Oh, I've got a little list here. Sunset Station, MGM Grand. I've worked in casinos like all over the United States and doing murals and faux finishes. And it's like our Bass Pro experience that you and I had. So we get to do the designing, we get to do things, full finishes and, and murals and stuff like that. So it was, that was a lot of fun. And I did that for a number of years also. But I'm still in the motion picture industry. So I've just found all these opportunities all my life have come, have come to me. And I've just had a lot of different painting experiences and art experiences as a commercial artist. I'm also a fine artist, if you can see in the back. Background here, there's you might see a painting, uh, a couple of paintings. So I have a big studio here. I have a 1,500 square foot studio, 16 foot ceilings, and I actually designed this studio to paint murals. And I have, I've had, let me see, let me see, I'll show you here. See the ceilings go really way up, and if you see in there, there's some little ledgers there. I can, I've had paintings in here that have filled the studio from floor to ceiling, and all the way across my uh, studio. So I have done a lot of murals in this studio too. And so and back in the day, whenever you were painting for with in Vegas and doing all of that, did you mostly paint it in your studio and then go install it? Both. Both. 
Yeah, because I did like fine art paintings for the studios, but also on site we yeah, and I painted a lot of murals at my studio and another studio we had in Albuquerque. Sometimes you have to paint on site, and but a lot of times we paint them on canvas, and I get canvases that are twenty feet wide. So I have access to really large work, large canvases. Some of our canvases were, and you have to import them from Amsterdam. There's only one loom in the world and they're 30 feet. So you can paint big paintings without any seams or anything like that. But most of the time it's nine foot or 16 foot paintings. Okay. So you paint these big giant canvases and then you go install them with like glue on the walls or what? It's uh, very expensive wallpaper because we use wallpaper paste and to adhere to the canvas. And it's just like a wallpaper. So in reality, what we're making is very expensive wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. I've only seen it one time, but I saw one artist do where he would paint and then he would install different images on top of images and put it down. Is that a thing? I hate that. You know what? I hate that. I've seen people do it. There's, yeah, I've seen some of these mural companies come and think they're doing this and then they apply. How long is that going to last if it's an exterior? Because I've seen them do it on an exterior. I saw this one lady do this mural that was like, God, it must have been 16 story building. And she did the, all these murals and half of them were just plant on stuff, gluing on. And I don't think that stuff is archival. And this was in Louisiana where it's very humid. So I don't recommend that. I think if you paint the thing, just paint it. I don't re recommend that. Maybe some of your kid, maybe some of you guys do that, but sorry, I don't. <laughs> no, I have no idea how to do that. There was an artist that came to Branson and he was like big time and he was doing that. And I was like, this just seems really confusing. I, you know what? They, yeah, I don't give those people much credence. The the thing is, they get a lot. Those mural companies I've uh, competed against, and it's hard to beat them because they have these big staff, big websites, and I hope nobody's listening to part of that, but they have these big websites and stuff, and I don't. You know me, Andrea, I don't do all that stuff. But it's hard to compete with those big companies because they have staff and people that generate and go out and searching for jobs and this and that. And then they don't even paint. They just, I don't know what they do. And then they glue all that stuff on it. I guess that's a new way to do it. It's okay. Not my thing. Okay. Yeah. So how did you get the job at Bass Pro? It was just how, how we met. I remember the first time I met you was in Bristol, Tennessee, and I came in and you had just finished the underwater aquarium area. And I was just like, whoa, <laughs> like this is big time. And you were like, oh yeah, we just did this. I worked on it for a month or whatever. And I was just like, okay, but how did you get this job? A friend of mine, and you remember him, Terry, he didn't last long, but Terry's nephew happened to be looking at his computer when Joe was walking by and saw Terry's website of all his Disney art. Terry was a really good Disney artist. And, and he said, we're looking for artists. He told his nephew, and I don't remember his nephew's name. And so he contacted Terry, and Terry's a dear friend of mine, and Chris, who you remember. And so we all three got together, set up our portfolios, because Joe was looking for, there was a big expansion going on at that time. And you were part of that. And so that's how we got the job. We sent in our portfolios of relevant work that they would be looking for. And we got hired on over there. And it was a big surprise, actually, although I'm used to painting large work, 
and things like that. But Bass Pro was a different experience. And but I loved it. I think it was one of my favorite jobs ever. Really? really Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because it's really one of my only big job experiences with a bunch of different people. How was it different from other jobs? There was more collaboration with some of the people. Some of the people liked collaborating, some didn't. Some of the artists, as you well know, but the but uh, there was a, a nice collaboration between the sculptors, the design. T- we were the designers, really. They just <laughs> yeah. They just had had parameters. The only parameters was this was going to be fishing department, so we're going to put fish here and see a fishing scene, and then this here was a hunting area, so we're you know doing that. The collaboration. And the, although I am used to travel and I've spent a whole some, uh, winter in Chicago on a project in the casino, so it's not like I'm not used to being home, but it was really rewarding. I, I don't know how to put my finger on it because I've done a lot of interesting projects, but I think it was one of my favorite jobs, Best Pro. That's so fun. We had a, a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a pleasure working with the people that I met from around the country and things like that. And though we did have timelines and we were under the gun, remember we had to we had to produce. There was no lollygagging around. We had to produce. And we did have to open those stores. But I am used to a pressure system working in the movies. It's the hours in, in the movies is ridiculous. Really? You know, so like, I, like 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or what's... What? Easily. Sometimes I'd be working till four in the morning. We had so much work in Los Angeles at one time. And at one time that like someday, some years I would get Christmas or New Year's off, but not both. And no days off in between. <laughs> there was so much work. I don't know why I'm still doing it. I should be worn out. I am worn out. It's hard to work. Well, <laughs> oh my gosh, I bet. Because you got up early today and you've been working all day. I've been up since three this morning. I love that because we would all work 60 hour weeks or so. And then we would, like on the weekend, be like, let's go bowling, guys. Or let's go have some, some beers. <laughs> Yeah. And then a lot of times on my days off with Bass Pro, I would, I hooked up, remember Mark, especially Mark, but we hooked up and we loved going to museums on the days off. And on our days off, we wouldn't just hang around. We would go doing research. So that's why we would go to museums, natural museum, natural history museums. We would go to different museums, art museums. And also we would go looking around and getting research for our projects that we happen to be currently working on. Actually, like Mark and I, one time when we were working in Gainesville, we actually took an inner tube ride. Now that was fun, but we brought all our equipment, cameras and everything to record what we were looking at so that we could portray the swamps and all that stuff there. We t- I took it very seriously doing research and everything. I, I, I went out all the time looking for places and hiking and things like that. Steve instilled that in me to get out there and, and look at stuff. And that's what I would do anyway when, you know, so yeah. 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 And so for anybody that doesn't know, so when they build a Bass Pro, you paint what's in that area. So Florida, we would do palm trees and Missouri, we would do Missouri walnuts and stuff. And then up North or like, or like in Memphis, we did a bunch of those like swamps and stuff. So we, we, we would go research like you, you would go research. And there, I remember one time we, when we were in like Louisiana, no Florida, and we went on like an alligator tour or something and we went to go see all that stuff. It's good times. Right. Yeah. So that was part of that experience. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was very rewarding. But I have a lot of really good experiences. I got a chance to paint the backdrops for Ghostbusters. Tell, uh, which, tell me about that. Tell me about that. 
And Ghostbusters was the largest backdrop ever made. And it was a historic backdrop because nobody had ever done this before. And it was 850 foot long around the stage, inside the stage, by 60 feet high of every building in New York City. It was all the scenes where they had the the monsters and all that stuff. And Sigourney Weaver, gets she gets electrocuted in there and on that big temple above there. So we had to replicate that. And we did that in Burbank. But it looked like she was in New York City. How long did that take you to complete? It took months to even draw it. And we had teams of people. I was in charge of a whole team of a whole section of New York. So we had to do them all in perspective, all looking like they go off in the distance and off, you know, to the East River and, you know, West River and everything like that. So it was quite a mathematical problem. If I might interject here a little bit there, in almost all my work, I use geometry. And I strongly recommend applying geometry to anybody's work that's listening. And, and the geometry gave us the perspectives that we required because it was a very difficult shoot because it was a, we were shooting in a rectangle. Okay, wait, let me do this. Okay, we're shooting in a rectangle in a stage. But when the camera pans around, it can't see those corners. So we had my boss, Ronnie Strang, who was a genius at this, figured out how to create those angles around those corners where you didn't see that corner. It looked like the camera could have gone all the way around and panned around. But in reality, we were shooting in a rectangle. So that was quite uh, an accomplishment. It was quite an accomplishment. That makes my brain hurt just thinking about how to do that. No, but I've had to do that for many backdrops. I've had to do that for one project. I had to paint a backdrop for the Oval Office. And it was the interior of the Oval Office, but it was on a flat surface. Okay, flat surface, Oval Office, looked like it was in the Oval Office, but it was actually just a, a total total painting, total flat painting. Oh, my gosh. And all, all the things that they have technology for now, you had to create with a paintbrush and paint back then. I know, nowadays. Oh, I got a chance to do on this. It's not going to be used because it, they ended up needing something bigger. But I did a Trompe thing where... Somebody has, I'm not, I can't say because we are under real restrictions with this show. But at any rate, I did a Trompe thing of a burnout of a kitchen that explodes. And it looked like they were looking through the roof and everybody just loved it. But the director just needed more. So they didn't use that. But it sprang an idea of what the director wanted. Because once he saw what I did, he knew where to go with it. So in reality, it worked. And I still got paid. Okay, so when oh yeah, I was about to ask, did you get paid for that? Even though they didn't yeah. use it, it's, it's funny how things get changed. Like even with Bass Pro, they would sometimes they'd be like, ah, we we don't want that there. We want it over here. And you'd sometimes complete murals would just get painted over, and so that's that really trained me to just be like, oh okay, things happen. Just go with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I've always said this: once my brush touches the wall, it belongs to the company. The painting belongs to the company, so it wasn't mine anyway. Because they're paying so me. True. So I, you do have to learn that. You have to let it go. You have to let you have to let those things go. Of course, we put our pride, our skills, we put our creativity. Every single day has to be exercised, exercised, and to so you know you do have an affinity for the work, but in the end you're going to walk away and go back home too. So you know you don't get to see it anymore. But being a professional, I've been a professional all these years. That's one of the caveats 
Yeah, definitely. And I remember one time specifically when we were, I think in Florida or something, I was like, Hey, I'm just now learning. I'm just starting to do this stuff. Can you teach me a little bit of tips? And you're like, you looked at me and you goes, honey, we're all learning all the time. And I was like, oh man, this is great. I love that. Yeah. You never stop learning. You really never stop learning. So tell me more of these Hollywood stories that you have going on. Like how, is there anything that has ever gone wrong in a way? Let me see. Gone wrong. No, not really. <laughs> no, but you know what? There was, there's movie was called Lethal Weapon with Mel Gibson. You know that one? Okay. Rick Donner, the director, wanted to do a stunt that had never been done before, never been filmed before. And the opening scene in Lethal Weapon is that lady, she's getting a little hammered. She's snorting some coke in Los Angeles. And most of the time when you see a, when you see a stunt person fall off a building or get shot off a building or something, they usually land behind something because there's a pillow there that they land on. So they fall and then they fall behind a wagon or something like that. So there's a pillow. I didn't know that. Okay. (laughs) So Richard Donner wanted to show the camera following this person fall all the way down to the street from this hotel. And so we created this whole street scene and where she impacts on top of a car. And so they show her falling, they show her falling. Wait, um, okay, they show her falling. She impacts onto the car, but that whole scene, the street and everything, the street lights, the windows, the balconies, everything was all a painting from a perspective from above. So as she hit, the very next split second scene, they show from underneath the car imploding from her imploding from this stunts thing. Of course, that was all set up anyway. But it, it appears to be that as she impacts onto the car, the car implodes a little bit on the roof. And it's because that's where she lands on this car. But in reality, the scene was showing her hit the car and it was a stunt pillow. But the whole street was a stunt pillow. Oh my gosh, you are so cool. <laughs> this is so cool that you got to work on yeah, I've gotten a chance to work on some really interesting projects. Tell me more. This is just so cool <laughs> that you've gotten to do that. Any, anything you can think of, come I am just, I'm just eating this up. <laughs> Those were some pretty good projects. Yeah, I worked on so many projects throughout the years. I've forgotten half of them. Goonies, Scrooged. I did, did a lot of stuff for Scrooge. God, I can't even remember half the movies I worked on, and I got a chance to do a lot of the big time Hollywood. Backdrops I'd actually got seen on Man's Chinese Theater right on Sunset Boulevard. So, oh, cool, <laughs> awesome. Okay, um, let's see. I remember one story that you had told me one time that you were basically a live painter for a band. Tell me about that. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah, I did performance art for a while for a number of years, and it was I had to do a large painting in six minutes to music and it might be an image of frank sinatra so we did frank sinatra music might be jimmy hendrix so we did a bunch of jimmy hendrix music but it was a lot of rehearsal to do that because i get on stage in front of hundreds and hundreds of people oh really yeah maybe even like a thousand people and i get up on stage 
of course, I had my my uh, dancing girls, and I also had. Oh, let me show you. I'll show you here just a second here. You gotta have the dancing girls. I got the chance to wear nice little tuxedo little outfits. <laughs> okay, here we go. I got. Wait. Okay, here we go. Yeah. So I got a chance to wear like some crazy tuxedo costumey outfit. Those are amazing. <laughs> I would jump around and do these paintings mostly by hand. And I had the palette here. We already had all the stuff, the colors pre-planned, of course. It's a performance. And so I'm throwing on the eyeballs, throwing on the hair, getting some brushes, splashing stuff. And in six minutes, I have to do a portrait that's over six feet. So they're, they're, they're pretty crude, but they're a lot of fun and they're a lot of energy. And that was a lot of fun for a while, but I don't think I could do it now. It's really physical. I really had to do jumping and because I'm jumping up, slapping. And the thing is, this all had to be to the time. So if we're doing a song, I have to be at a certain point in the song, putting in the, the, the highlights of the eyeballs or painting in the lips or painting in the face. So I have to know the timing on the song, exactly where I'm at, if I'm ahead or behind, if I can slow down or stay on top. But I have to know the every single song and so we would practice these you know practice over and over again until i could just get up there and just slam a jimmy hendrix painting in six minutes oh my gosh how much practice was needed for that like you practice all in one day all of a week or what yeah i yeah i would do it for a few weeks and it was a lot of choreography was this in vegas or in california where was this or was this traveling or hawaii san diego orlando chicago uh minneapolis I did it in a number of places. You are well-traveled with art. That's so cool. <laughs> you know, to your listeners, I've been very lucky in a lot of things because I've had some really interesting art experiences. Luck? But I think the longer you're in this field, the more people you meet and the more a word gets out. It's a long game. The longer you can stay in it, the more stuff you'll get thrown at you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's plenty of opportunities. They're always popping up. Admittedly, now a lot of times it's computer work, but you still need to be an artist to work a computer to be creative. And I realize it's not just pushing a button to get an effect. There is that, but you still have to know that's the effect that you want. So you still have to be an artist. It's just what kind of pencil am I going to use? This pencil is going to do something different than this pencil or stuff like that. Yeah, there's always going to be opportunities and you just have to apply yourself and to be honest with you Andrea and you might be the same way too but I used to I draw all the time if I'm sitting on a bus I'm drawing the people around me or I'm drawing the bus I remember one time I was stuck in Los Angeles on the freeway I just pulled out my pad and just started drawing all the cars that were going down the big trucks and everything I just draw everything now I understand and I realize that's not what everybody wants but because murals are a big thing has art has a big uh, umbrella and I am more uh, prone to doing things that are uh, believable as opposed to more decorative and I'm not really a decorative painter to be honest with you and I know that a lot of murals muralists want to just de do decorative work but nevertheless practice practice that study if you're going to paint I think you did a butterfly or something like that study butterflies 
if you're going to paint big ladybugs, study ladybugs and draw. Just draw, draw, draw. I have books and books of drawings. Of I'm just sitting there at night and my dog is laying there. I might have a glass of wine. There's a table, the TV. I'll draw that whole scene. I'll just draw whatever's there. I don't even you know, worry about if the curtains are fun to look at. Oh, I'm going to draw the curtains. And I, I think even if you're going to do a black space with an orange ball, orange circle in it, and that's your whole painting, you still have to know where to put that orange circle someplace to make it an, a viable piece of work. Yeah, you know? I, I love it that you say that too, because a lot of students or a lot of people listening to, they think that if they're going to spend time on something, they need to get paid. And I think a lot of people totally miss the whole like study type thing, draw, just because a lot of people, if they spend time on a painting or they spend time on a sketch, they want to sell it. They're like, I, I need to sell this or it's not good. They think it's just not good, but you're saying just always be learning. Yeah. Just constantly. One of my biggest inspirations for drawing, although I there's a lot of inspirations, but one of them that I used to teach my students is uh, Richard Diebenkorn. He's a pretty well-known abstract expressionist, but he drew realistically and he had a drawing workshop in Northern California until he died. So he was always drawing from the figure, the model, even though his work doesn't look anything like that. But he wasn't doing that for money. He was doing it because he was studying. And I have a book on Richard Diebenkorn to show his evolution of from being an abstract artist, abstract expressionist artist, from his realistic drawings. And you could see the evolution of him, of, of like he'd draw the sink, he'd just draw the kitchen, he'd just draw. And I remember one time, I was a long time ago, we used to have to replicate paintings because they didn't print them at that time. So I remember I was doing a Richard Diebenkorn painting, and then I realized as I'm doing this work, I was like, wow, he's looking at the kitchen. That's a vase. That's a, the, the kitchen. There's a hallway down there and everything like that. And you couldn't have told it from, from the painting that I was replicating because, see, okay, to go back, a, a lot of times in the movies, they might walk into a gallery or a store or they might look at a portrait like in, oh, yeah, this is my grandfather. One of us had to paint that. And, and then a lot of times they're not going to rent a Richard Diebenkorn for a movie shop. They're millions of dollars worth of paintings. So you're not going to rent one of those. So we would replicate them by hand. And so I would get a chance to study how Botero and Diebenkorn and all these people painted Bierstadt, all these great artists, man, I got a chance to study their way, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Look at drawings of, of Richard Diebenkorn and you'll see he's an inspiration anyway. There's other people, Degas, everybody could draw. But I would encourage people to have fun with it. Don't be thinking you're going to make money because if you're doing it for money, you're not only for money. I paint for money. I do commission work, but I also do my own paintings, and I'm not doing them necessarily for money. Yes, I would like to sell them, but if they don't sell, I have a nice painting and I do pay my rent selling my paintings too. So it's not like we don't do it for money, but the inspiration shouldn't come from that. It's okay to make money. There's nothing wrong with making money. Problem is with a lot of these, a lot of artists, <laughs> as I've gone through my career, I've met many artists. Oh, I'm a real artist. I don't really sell my work. So yeah, driving a cab is really being an artist, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> no. So, oh no, if I had to sell my work, I wouldn't do it. There's nothing wrong with making money. Come on. So if, if I can encourage people, be inspired, do the work. Because here's the saying, no great piece of art was ever made 
by a lazy artist. And that is a fact. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's, that's so true. No artist that wants to cut corners is going to create something great. One of my teachers said, Pietro, paint like your life depends on it. Wow, my life depends on art, on painting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you can get encouragement, that would be great. If I can encourage people, put the work in. Have, at the end of your career, have a storehouse full of work. The saying of the, a Chinese emperor wanted uh, a painting of a fish. So he had his court guy look for a guy that could paint a fish. And so he, they find this artist and they said, we'll be back to collect the painting of the fish when you're done. And, and so they wait and wait and months go by. Time goes by and, and uh, they still haven't heard from the artist. They're still waiting for the painting of this fish. It wasn't Bass Pro, but <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the court man comes and uh, and knocks on the artist's door and says, we're waiting for this painting of this fish. And, oh, okay, I'll do it right now. So he gets out his canvas and paints the painting of the fish. Okay, here you go. He says, why couldn't you have done this painting before? Why did we have to wait? So he opens another door in a room, and there's a room full of paintings of fish that he'd been practicing all this time to paint this one fish. That's what it is. <laughs> That's what it takes. There was another exhibit. I got a chance to see this before your time. The Helga. Do you know anything about the Helga exhibit at all? Andrew Wyeth? Uh -uh, okay. I don't think so. Controversial exhibit. Anyway, I happened to be in Washington, D.C. at the time, and I went into the Corcoran Gallery, which, which was where it was. Uh, I believe it was the Corcoran Gallery. And they had the Helga exhibit in, it was in the Smithsonian, I think. Yeah, the Smithsonian. And they had the, the Helga exhibit, all the work that, that Andrew Wyeth had done on this farm that he had worked on. And what was nice is they had beautiful paintings of Andrew Wyeth was an excellent illustrator, artist. But alongside this beautiful painting on either side would all be all these crummy sketches of maybe the boots, the tree, all these ideas before he got to this one painting. And to me, that was one of the most, most important exhibits I'd ever seen because of the fact I could see all the work that he did to get to this jewel. And that's when I saw that Andrew Wyeth exhibit, I was like, okay, we're on the same page, brother. Also, I saw a nice exhibit, Chuck Close a retrospective of Chuck Close in Miami. Oh my God, the work he put in. The work he put in. Now, are you familiar with Chuck Close at all? No, but I'm going to Google him right after this. <laughs> he does mainly these big portraits. They're probably eight to 10 feet high. And that's all he does. And it's just the face. It's just the face. And he's done that all his life. But he did it in so many different ways throughout his career, like with pencil, with uh, handmade paper inside these molds for every value. And it would take him probably a year to make each value. And these are large paintings. And then he'd print this and this homemade paper would be the value. Then he'd take that off and, and put another value of homemade paper. He did woodcuts. He'd hired like hundreds of master wood Japanese woodcutting guys to do these portraits. And each woodcut would be a, just a value, just like underneath the chin or something like that. And that'd be, then they'd print that. And so his whole, he's known for painting, but he also went through a whole, I would say a lifetime of other work 
to get to where he is today. And that's what it took. That's what it took. That Chuck Close exhibit was so inspiring, really inspiring, because it just showed all the work that it took to get to where he is today. He didn't get there just being talented and having to have graduated from Harvard or Yale art department. He got that way because he was a hard worker. Yeah, and I think that's a little bit lost nowadays. People want that like instant gratification and all of that, and which is a thing. Yeah, we, we live in that world now. It's hard. It's even hard for me to read a whole news article anymore. <laughs> We're in that world now, and it's a difficult situation. But I think it still can happen. I think it still can happen. Let me give you another inspiring story. It's not about art, but it is art. I happened to do one of those performances in New York City a, a, a couple of a few years ago. And it was a benefit for the, it was a benefit show for the Big Sisters, Little Sisters Club. And Pat Benatar is a big, remember I showed you that when I got back from New York, I showed you that picture of me and Pat Benatar. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, I went up to, I went up to New York to do this gig and then went back to Bass Pro. But I showed you that picture of me and Pat Benatar. So anyway, Pat Benatar is there. But what the, the, the inspiring story is that it had all these children musicians on the stage at this, and it was a big theater in New York. And it had all these children performing jazz, rock, choral, uh, singing, just a huge performance. And it just gave me so much joy to see that all these kids were not sitting on their devices because for them to be on a New York stage said that they had to do a lot of work to get there. And these were all very professional signing kids. This one kid, and he's the star of... Uh, School of Music on Broadway. He was the opening act. And this kid couldn't have been more than four feet. But the guitar was bigger than him. And he did the Jimi Hendrix, because Jimi Hendrix first did the national anthem at this New York theater. That was the first time he did it. He didn't do it at Woodstock. He did it at this theater. And this little kid wailed the, the Star Spangled Banner. It was unbelievable. But he also played jazz. He did everything else. He was... So it just, what it did was it just gave me hope that there's just a lot of kids out there that are really doing something. They're putting the work in and it's all about work. This is called artwork. There's work in the word. Ooh, I love that artwork. Oh, you're so right. Yeah, this is artwork. So there's work in the word. Remember that always. <laughs> yeah, I think that's such a good way to end this too. Hey, it's a lot of work. It's fun too. And it just, the better of a painter you can be, the, I think the easier it is to get recommended right. and just to get those opportunities like you had, just the better painter you can be. Like you practice all the time. You have So everybody watching and listening, I think this is a really good, just like example of someone who puts in the work and then you get the opportunities. Yeah. I just had to impart that to some kids on the Better Call Saul. Uh, we were given some really crummy research and I had to fix everything. So I showed them, I go, I'm because I'm giving classes now at work on the job because I want, I'm getting to better ready to retire. And there's a lot of new people coming up and they don't know what I know. And it's my job to impart everything. I, I tell everybody, I want you to know everything I know. I will try my hardest, but you have to put the work in too. Because if I'm going to give you this much information, you have to show me a little something too. Okay. And yep. And you know what it was like. You had to do a lot of work at that at, on our when we were together. 
So. Yeah, yeah, it, it sucks starting at the bottom. <laughs> You've got to climb a little bit here and there, but it's it's nice to have. You were pretty up there right off the bat. You were doing those nice signs. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it was really nice just having, and I mentioned you guys on the Bass Pro Crew all the time. People are like, how did you get to where you are? When I'm like, I had a, some really great mentors to show me the standard of what it should be and how quickly people that the best pro wanted it done. So I feel like I was thrown in to this ring with you guys and I got to learn and see what, what the standard is and how you guys create. Cause I remember you giving me a couple tips. Like when you, you were painting clouds, you gave me a tip you were like, you know, if you mix just a little bit of yellow into that white and put it on that cloud, the tip of that cloud, it makes the warmth. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's just something you, that's just something you don't know unless somebody tells you. Aren't white. There are a lot of colors. <laughs> there are a lot. There, there's a lot of colors in clouds. They're not just white. Oh, exactly. Yeah. You were one of the first people to tell me that, and I love painting clouds now. And it's just, there's so much fun. But there's, yeah, you're right. There's a lot to it. But yeah, I think that's we're almost to an hour. But thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. It's so nice to just catch up with you again. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. Yeah, I have fond memories of all our you know, times together and working together and stuff. Yeah, that hey, was keep, a really fun time. Keep in touch, please. You know, <laughs> okay. All righty. <laughs> yeah, we, we will. We will. We should make this more than just a once every year to meet up for a call or something. Planning a trip to Springfield. You, are you are. Still- yeah, please let me know when the next time you come to Springfield. I would love to catch up with you. And thank you so much for coming on here and inspiring all these other artists that are about to listen to this. And I, I really appreciate you. Okay, thank you, Andrew, for it, it considering me. And just one more quick reminder that since May is Mural Month, I have created an extra special training for you to learn how to grow your own art business quickly using murals like I have. If you're listening this month and thinking, okay, let me see what this mural thing is all about. Then go to artistacademy.co to learn how you can start making money in the mural biz. The majority of my income comes from murals and I want to help you get started too because I know how profitable they can be. So go to artistacademy.co to claim your free training this month and I really hope that you are enjoying May Mural Month. I will see you next week.